0: Good morning, church. Good morning, as you're able, to your feet. Anybody joining us online? Hey, good morning. Welcome. We invite you right where you are to join in with us in worship. Kick it off there, John.
1: Blessing and honor. there your glory, every knee shall bow at your throne. In worship you will be exalted, O God, and your kingdom shall not pass away, O ancient earth days. sing and honor, glory and power, be unto the ancient earth. Oh, every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory, every knee shall bow in your throne. In worship you will be exalted, O God, and your kingdom shall not pass away, O ancient She knows. She knows.
0: Heaven, we thank you so much for an opportunity to join together in spirit. For those who are present with us online, for those who are in the building, what an honor just to gather and bless your name and sing glory to God in the highest. We want to bless you this morning with our music. We want to bless you with our hearts. And more importantly, we want to bless you with our lives. We invite you in. We want to interact with you. We want to hear from you through Steve and the truth that you have spoken to him this week. So, soften our hearts and our minds. And we just offer this time up to you and for your glory. And all God's children say, amen. You may be seated.
2: Well, good morning, whether you're here or online. Uh, I want to give a special shout out this morning as we dive into announcements. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bob Cook filling in last Sunday for me. I appreciate it. I was this close to texting him, during announcements, and Amanda reminded me, we were at home watching, and she's like, no, he has his phone, like, you don't want it to go off. I really did, though. Uh, I told him he's hired. He's welcome back up here anytime. Uh, but Bob, thank you so much. Uh, for the rest of you, if we have not met, my name is Rob. I'm, I work with the students here. I wanted to tell you about a few of the things that are happening uh, at Northview right now. Even though things are a little weird, there's still a lot of good. The first is uh, this Saturday... One week from yesterday is our annual step by step Christmas celebration. Obviously, a little bit differently this week or this year, we've been talking the last few weeks. We are taking it out to the parking lot. We're going to do a drive through Christmas celebration. Thank you for those of you that have reached out wanting to help or have donated financially or gifts. There's still time to do that and we still need your help to pull this off. Uh, Pam right up here, Pastor Steve's wife, she is the main resource for Step by Step. So if you have questions about where things are at, what is still needed, what help is needed to to set up or to work the event on Saturday, I want to encourage you either talk to her between services or her email address is up there. You can reach out to her directly, uh, and she would love to be able to talk to you more about Step by Step. So we are just on the verge of launching full into the Christmas season. You saw uh, in the lobby, our crew here did a good job this week starting to get things going. There's going to be more when you show up or tune in next Sunday. We're very excited. What a perfect Time, I think our culture needs the reminder of the hope that is Jesus, especially this year. And uh, We want to encourage you, uh, the Sundays in December, to make sure you either show up or tune in to hear more about this thrill of hope, how we as a weary world, especially this year, uh, can rejoice alongside one another in the name that is Jesus. And then on Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock, either here or online, we'd love for you to join us uh, for that time of celebration. The last two weeks, we've did a. we been doing a thank offering. The envelopes are still out. Now, the thank offering here at Northview is a special donation that we take and we give to one of our organizations, our missions, our missionaries, uh, just as a way to bless them, to support them. And this year's uh, has been going to the hard ways they've been up here the last couple weeks. They're not here this Sunday. They were hoping to be, and we're so glad that they're not because that means the The transportation, the flight process has begun this week. They're heading to Papua New Guinea. Uh, It's been years in the making. We're so excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's still time to, to jump in if you wanted to give them a little extra something, the envelope scattered around, or if you head online, you can give that way. Uh, we will let you know what the total is of how we've been able to bless them, uh, above and beyond the already being able to support them. They came into Northview three weeks ago at 90%. They're well over 100% funded. That's why, thanks to you guys and your generosity, they're able to be on their way this week. So stay tuned. We'll have more information, and we'll give you guys updates uh, as they head out into the mission field. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, buy all the boxes in the back uh, if you want to drop off an offering. If you are here in person, uh, if you're online, you can head to the website or there's information on text to give as well. But would you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Lord, being reminded of uh, the Hardaways on their way to Papua New Guinea and step by step this coming Saturday, Lord, is just reason to celebrate the the obedient giving of this congregation, Lord, and how they choose to worship you in all areas of their life. We know what we have isn't yours. We're giving it back to you. We're just trying to, to be obedient, to partner with you in ministry, Lord. We know you don't need our money, but you want our hearts. Bless us this morning, Lord, and bless the Hardaways as they finish the preparations to head out of the country. May you go ahead of them. May they be blessed, and may they be just used to enormous benefit for your kingdom in Papua New Guinea. In your son's name, amen. Hey, if you have a middle school student that is 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, Zeb Fenimore right there is going to take them on upstairs. Have fun.
3: Thanks, Rob. Good morning, everybody. I hope you had a wonderful and safe Thanksgiving holiday. Um, Obviously, we weren't here last week, right? Pam and I, just so you know, we're doing good. Our test came back negative a half hour after church was over. Right? So isn't that on cue? That's about how it works, but uh, we're doing good. By the way, the, the Lunds are still quarantined, and Sarah is actually, has no smell or taste, so she's going through it right now. Uh, they're doing okay, and uh, I, I was joking with them. I said, first you couldn't find a house. Now you can't get out of it, right? So, so their entry into the Northwest has been rather awkward, and uh, you can pray for them this week. They're getting a little stir-crazy uh, on that. 10,000 thank yous for David filling in for me at the last minute. Let's give him a hand of appreciation. Awesome job. Just uh, uh, In case you don't know, David and I and Susan and Pam and I go back 40-some years together. And uh, so, really good. Really appreciate it. All right. Uh, The Hardaways are in the airport, are probably boarding the plane right now. Okay, I texted them this morning and they were grateful to get rid of all their baggage. <laughs> they had like 11 big things that they had to load onto the plane as they're going. So let's just be in prayer now, all right? Uh, to this date, as, as far as I know, right now, uh, Northview, we have given over $20,000 uh, in the thank offering and that's not all, all right? So there's a huge outreach, that's how they got to go. So bless God for that, you guys are fantastic. All right. So uh, let's get started. We're in Philippians. If you're online, take your Bibles. All right, here we go. Uh, Grab them. Last week we covered verse 1 through 7. I should say David did. And then today we're going to cover 7 to 11. All right. So it's a 7-11 Sunday. There we go. Uh, Before we do that, let's do a little review. David did such a great job and he covered those two different covenants. And these are really important that you could really go in depth on them. But Uh, The Old Covenant, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3, that the Old Covenant is the letter of death and that it it brought about a spirit of condemnation. Uh, And the New Covenant is the spirit, where we're given the Holy Spirit and given uh, hope. The Old Covenant was the letter of the law. The New Covenant is the spirit of the law or the spirit of righteousness that God gives us through what Jesus has done the old law, as I said, had uh, condemnation. The new uh, covenant has transformation. The uh, old covenant did carry a spirit of forgiveness, but what the new covenant added to that was the spirit of reconciliation, All right, Brought back under a relationship with the Lord, being right with him. Uh, the old covenant depended on human effort, right? You had to keep the law. Uh, the, old, the new covenant is under the spirit's power, and then in the Old Covenant, the picture that uh, Paul used was the, the Shekinah glory, right? Moses would put the mask over his face, but after a while it records, not because the glory was still there, but because it had faded, right? And don't, don't we do that, right? How many couples have the veil marriage over their lives, but the reality died a long time ago, right? There's, there's just a lot of things like that in life that we do where the New Covenant that's it. Give, give him a kiss, Sandy. That's good. Sandy still loves Dan. That's good. Um, but the new covenant is uh, a, a surpassing glory. In other words, we go from faith to faith, strength to strength, glory to glory. And by the way, Dave did a great job. If you've missed that, you can go, uh, especially for those of you online, you can go online uh, to our website and download last week and connect that to this one if you missed it. But he pointed out this just sets up two different ways that you can go about living the Christian life or two different ways you can go about loving God. And uh, this is really an important point. It says we can either approach it through veiling or we can approach it with an unveiled heart. And it's very important uh, to what we're covering in Philippians 3. So let's just take it one step further. What does the veiled life look like? Again, just review. The veiled life looks like this. It's characterized by a tendency to cover up reality. I really don't want you to know what's going on in my life, right? And then, uh, if you're a pastor and you're doing this, you peddle the word of God. In other words, you demand of the people sitting in the audience something you're not even doing yourself, right? You're, you're selling a product. Like the old uh, guys that used to come in the towns in the western with their carts, right? Dr. Chivago's magic potion show, whatever, and, uh, You know, and they had this magic elixir that would cure all things. They didn't even believe in it themselves, but they wanted you to believe in it. Why? Because they financially gained from it. And there's a lot of pastors who do ministry to gain financially from it. Um, I've never understood that, but I I, I get it with the prosperity gospel and all that. Um, But you peddle the Word of God. The big thing in this is secrets, It's not, I said, I've often said what's scary about us is not what we know about each other, it's what we don't know about each other, right? And this kind of life wants to keep it that way. The less you know about me, the better it is. I don't really want you looking in behind the veil. I want you to ignore that man behind the curtain, right? Don't go there. That's not your place. Uh, I will distort the word of God so that it fits my lifestyle, And I'm going to take great pride in appearance. I want you to look out here. I want you to notice this. Do not go back here, out here. I want you to look at my credentials. I want you to look at the outward markers of accomplishments I've made. And therefore, I'm significant because I have these plaques hanging on my wall and I have these titles attached to my name. And therefore, that's why you should respect or honor me. And what the Bible says also is that this really relies on lying. You have to lie to go through uh, a lifestyle like that. And just a reminder that lying as we know it comes from Satan. The very first lie was created by Satan. And that lying is the language of hell. Truth is the language of heaven. So truth is the language of heaven. Lying is the language of hell. Why should we not lie? Because God doesn't lie. That's one of the most basic truths in all of Scripture. And we forget that. It's so elementary we can blow right by it. Okay? And so lying. Uh, the unveiled life is characterized by openness. In other words, what you see is what you get. It's, it's the package. It's characterized by life. It's characterized by love. Uh, it's characterized by righteousness, and righteousness means freedom, right? Not freedom to do what you want to do, anybody can do that, uh, but freedom to do what God has asked you to do. That's really freedom, and we forget that. Uh, it's measured or marked by accountability and commendability. Uh, you're able to look into my life, or able to talk, that kind of stuff. Uh competency comes not from my degrees or credentials, but it comes from God, what God gives me in His Holy Spirit. And by the way, just because we live in a pressured moment in history right now, uh, often God makes us very commendable under pressure. We don't like the pressure. We'd like it to go away. We'd like things to be the way they used to be, right? And amen, right? But, Under pressure is when God brings out his best stuff. So if you've been sitting there saying, I don't see anything spectacular about me. I don't see anything worthy about me. I don't see anything special about me. Um, You know, I don't even know why God would even bother. I I don't get it. Nothing really. Your moment may not have come yet. Okay? Think through how you would respond under pressure. It's it's really a big part of it. And this, Paul says, comes with ever-increasing glory right strength to strength faith to faith glory to glory so um here's how paul says this in philippians 3 8 okay whatever gain i had i count as loss for the sake of christ indeed i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord in other words paul says to know jesus is the greatest thing possible in life period to know him, to be known by him. We're going to look at that this morning. What Paul's highlighting here is that all human religious credentials that he had accumulated, and he had a few, right? He listed them, circumcised of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, blameless under the law. All these religious credentials were worthless in his eyes compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord. Another way to put this is that Jesus, what Jesus has done for us is so far beyond and superior to the law that Paul has abandoned all of the old forms of self-righteousness. In other words, it wasn't about Paul anymore. It wasn't about what he had accumulated. It wasn't about what he had done. It was now about what Jesus had done. And that's where his worth and value comes from. And this... brings up, I think, an interesting question for us today. Don't put it up yet, Susan. Nope, take it out of there. Get out of there. Good, thank you. (laughs) You didn't see that. Online, you didn't see that, all right? Um, Because there's always a good time for us to measure that, right? How do you measure it? Well, here's one way to measure it. Look at this question. Okay, there we go, Susan, okay? Here's the way I put it. Am I right with God because I've done all these things? Or have I done all these things because I'm right with God? Now that, that may sound like a riddle and a tongue twister and all that, but, but let me walk through it again. Am I right with God because I've done all these things? Or have I done all these things because I'm right with God? And all this, although the same words are used in that, they're flipped. And the difference is enormously significant. Let me illustrate. You're in church or, or you're watching church this morning, right? Here's how that would word. Are you right with God because you are in church? Or are you in church because you're right with God? Do you get what I'm driving at here? It's not this list of things I knock out that are spiritual accomplishments and therefore I'm right with God. God makes me right with Him and therefore I can do all these things. It's an issue of heart motivation, not what I'm doing, but why I'm doing what I'm doing. You've never heard that from me before, right? If you're here this morning because it's part of your religious credentials, then you're veiling. It's good because the guys in the rotary are impressed that I go to church. If it's that kind of thing then you're veiling. If you're here this morning because you love God, then you're unveiled. Let me illustrate it in another way. I once had a couple uh, who called me up and asked if I could marry them. And and so I I send a letter to them. I always send a letter to every couple that asks me and uh, they read the letter. And then if they agree to the terms of the letter, then they meet with me. And so this couple did and they agreed. And so they met with me. And when they first came in, I I knew the gal very well because she was a a student that had grown up in the youth group. And so I knew her, I knew her family, uh, and the guy I'd never met before. So I said, well, just tell me a little bit about you. And, uh, you know, what do I need to know? And uh, he went on to describe this elaborate Christian history of his family and how his grandfather had been a pastor and all these pastors he knew, and the Christian heritage of his family, and who his parents were, etc., etc., etc. And uh, if you've been in ministry long enough, you start listening. He was trying too hard, right? And I, I kind of picked up on that. And so when he got done, um, after about 10 minutes, I, I just asked him one simple question I said, Are you having premarital sex with your fiance? <laughs> She turns ten shades of red, looks at the floor. He's right. What would you do if the pastor did that to you? What's going on here? What was going on? What was he doing? He was veiling. Right? He was trying to impress me with religious credentials. He wanted me. Um, to not press into areas that he didn't want me to know about. I was supposed to leave well enough alone because look at the credentials. Turns out he didn't even have a walk with God. I said to him, how about we fix that? And make things right both with God and with her, referring to his fiance." Remember that verse in Deuteronomy that David so skillfully pulled out for us last week? It reads like this. It's in Deuteronomy 10. It says, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. In other words, what Scripture tries to pound home is you can't con him. You can't fool him. You can't pay him off. You can't bribe him. You can't work it to your advantage. Parents, uh, if your parents, do you ever have your kids try to work you at an angle? Right? Sure, we all know what that's like. We did it. They do it to us. We did it to our parents. Spouses, we do it to each other, right? Work an angle, right? And what Scripture's trying to say is you can't do that with God. It doesn't work. And a lot of our veiling is stubbornness. We just simply don't want to do what God's asked us to do. That's what this young man was wrestling with. Later in the process, that guy surrendered his life to Christ. But it wasn't without a battle. He went from veiled to unveiled. Okay. I want to show you a, a diagram that uh, we use. This is a target diagram. And uh, we use this in our new members class. So if you're interested in knowing what it's about to join Northview as a family. Uh, You'll come into the new members class, and this is one of the diagrams we use. And in this, uh, you will find that it's like a target. So if you go target shooting and that kind of stuff, you'll recognize that right away. And there's three rings to that target, all right? And uh, the question is, what's the bullseye? On the outer ring, most churches, the bullseye is doctrine. Now, doctrine is very important. You have to have right doctrine. You've got to know the Bible. By the way, it's December, and so uh, I've been through, I've uh, finished reading through the Bible. I read through the New Testament twice, Revelations twice. I've run out of things. I've got to find something to read for December, all right? But uh, coming into January, this would be, if you have never done it, uh, a fantastic year to join me in reading through the Bible. We have four different plans that you can go through. Uh, a lot of you have done it. If you've done it once, do it again, okay? It, it, it's a tremendous eye-opener when you get to see the whole thing and go, oh, that's that, and that's that, and that's why they always say that. And, oh, I didn't, right? So I want to encourage you. If if the year doesn't get better, maybe your knowledge of God will. So join me, join me in, in reading through the Word. But in this diagram... Uh, right doctrine for most churches is the core of the target, right? And it is certainly part of the target. All these pieces are interconnected, but it's a question of order. The second piece is often good behavior. If I just behave well, if I behave the way you want me to, then uh, I'm okay. Then I'm I'm right with God, right? And, uh, you know, there's Uh, For example, going back to the doctrine piece, well, let's do the center and then I'll come back to it. The center of the target, though, what the Bible tells us is right relationship. It's right relationship with God, and by extension, once we have a right relationship with God, we have a right relationship with each other. Uh, Why is that so critical? Why does that have to be the center? I, I know a guy, going back to the doctrine piece, I know a guy who had the entire New Testament memorized. And he was an absolute monster to his children and to his grandchildren and left a debris field from here to China. Uh, he, <clears throat> I doubt, seriously, actually knew the Lord. And yet he had it memorized. Okay? You can have the right stuff in your head. It doesn't mean you have a right heart. And you can behave well, right? Most of us, uh, even at home, right, if you're watching, but here, no, we can't be stupid and idiots in church, right? That would just be embarrassing. Like, and you know, we don't want to be... Caught doing something because that would just be—we want to behave well, Um, right? Most of the time, there's that fear of what would happen if I don't behave well. Some of us uh, were a little more courageous, said we don't care, we'll hit that wall and see what happens, right? And uh, and and then the rest of you looked at us and said you're idiots, right? And and so, uh, but right behavior doesn't mean you have a right heart either. You can do all the right behavior things and it doesn't mean you have a love relationship. It's this love relationship that Jesus is looking for, that God's looking for is the center of the target. You do have to behave well and you do need to have right doctrine, but they've got to be shackled to a right heart, right? And that right heart has to be surrendered to God and the biggest piece of the surrender is authority, we don't like authority. We don't like someone telling us what to do. And therefore, God chases us. Even if he's not bugging us, he chases us because he might tell us to do something I don't want to do. And so we're bristled, we're braced. We're... And God's going, that's not a relationship. That's not what I'm looking for. It says, explain the diagram. I just did. Okay. <laughs> You know, if you think about it, that's exactly what happened with the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, right? If you look at his credentials, if you look at his life, he was doing all the things right, and yet he was totally wrong, to the point where he was so convinced he was right, he could kill people and throw people in jail. That's that's where the twist comes in. He went from veiled, Paul literally was veiled because he had cataracts on his eyes from the bright light that shone he had to be led in blindness into damascus and then he lived an unveiled life right because literally when ananias came and prayed for him the the scales fell off and he could see again that's a picture of his heart his heart was scaled it was crusted it was dark Uh, if you've ever had a cataract i i'm old enough i've had one i get to join that group right and uh it's an amazing thing because you can see but you can't really see and when they take it off, you go, oh, well, that's a good, this is incredible. <laughs> you guys all look good again, right? <clears throat> and so what the Bible's talking about is spiritually, though, our hearts develop a cataract. We get hardened, we get stubborn, and, and we resist against God. Paul went from religious performance, I will earn my way into heaven. God, you will respect my credentials. You have to let me in. To submission to God, I now stand in grace and can claim no credit for myself. He had a changed heart. Thus his statement, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, the great value, the incredible opportunity of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Look at how he goes on to explain this. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says this, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's saying here, I quit climbing the ladder of success and the ladder of religion and count all things as garbage in order that I may gain Christ. That's the incredible place that Christ took in Paul's life. In other words, gaining Christ is now the highest possible reward. You know, Jesus echoes this. Jesus taught parables about this. Uh, In Matthew 13, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which the man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Why? He has to sell everything he has. Why? Because he can't take the treasure because it's not his field. He can only, he's found something hidden, so he has to go sell everything he's got, buy that field. Once he buys it legally, then that treasure's his. Right. In other words, that's how valuable that treasure was. It's worth getting rid of everything else just to gain that. And Jesus said, that's a picture of me. Or he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Obviously, the same illustrations. These illustrations are about gaining Christ. Like Paul is talking about to the Philippians He is more precious than anything, and everything they had was worth selling all to gain him. But the next part of the verse may be even more powerful. Let's let's read that again. It says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I want you to focus on that particular phrase in those verses there, that I may be found in Him. What does that mean, found in Him? In other words, when Christ comes back to this planet, and He is going to come back, right? Make no doubt about it. If you're worried about the politics and you're worried about who's president, you're worried about, uh, you know, all the stuff happening and the great reset and all the terminology that's coming out right now, it's all burping to the surface right now. Here we go, right? Jesus is coming back, okay? He is coming back to get us. What form he wants to do that in is his choice, but we better be ready when he does it. In other words, when he comes back to this planet, which he's going to do. This is the great hope is that I would be found in him. In other words, he recognizes me. It doesn't mean much if I say I recognize Jesus. It's a much bigger deal if he says I recognize you. It's huge. Just like a person would go to a bank for a safe deposit box, right? Go to the bank, you give them their identification, When you go and open up that safe deposit box, what do you expect to find in there? Your stuff. It's yours. You go, yep, that's my stuff. It would be pretty strange if you open up and it wasn't your stuff, right? What's this? That's not my stuff. That's what we're talking about. It says someone would go to the lost and found and reclaim what is theirs. Oh, it was lost. I found it. Yeah, it's mine. So when Christ returns, the greatest hope of the human heart is that I would be found in him. In other words, when he shows up and he looks and he comes back and goes, yep, that's my son, yep, that's my daughter, I know them, that's mine, I've come back to get them. That right there is the essence of what it means to be human and what it means to be Christian, is to be found in him. We don't need to get woke in our culture. We need to get found. Okay? We are a lost culture. We're waking up to the wrong things. All right? We are being steered. We need to come back to Jesus as Lord. Found in Christ. Period. Exclamation point. How do we get found? Well, Paul says here it's by faith. By faith. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is not faith in faith. You hear people say this all the time these days. I have faith. What do you have faith in? I have faith in faith. I will find a way. I have faith. No, that's not what Scripture says. You have faith in Jesus. You have faith in Christ not having uh, a righteousness by, that comes from the law. In other words, I don't place my faith in my religious performance. In other words, I'm not here today to earn brownie points and to get an A on the test so that I can stamp it. And when I get to the Golden Gates, I hand God the test, and he says, yes, you have passed the test, you get in. That is not what we're doing today. What we're doing today is gathering here by faith reminding ourselves of what Jesus told us so that we anchor on that, no matter what comes our way, we hold on to that so that we stay in faith no matter what. Faith in our Lord Jesus. I don't place my faith in religious performance. I place my faith in his ability to save me. Amen, anybody? Right? What's the end game here? Always got to look at the end game. God is not not looking for people to come to church who are trying to impress each other and trying to outdo each other. You ever been there? Done that? Seen that? Right? God is not looking for people whose only interest is to veil and wall him out with secrets and covering up reality. God is looking for people who will love him and trust him. There's the big piece, right? Not do you believe in him, do you trust him? Jesus had just such a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. You remember that story? First, he unveils her life with a question. Go get your husband. Can you imagine if you were her? Of course, we cheat. We know the end of the story, right? How would you have answered him? She could have lied. She could have veiled. She could have stonewalled. She simply replied, I have no husband. I bet you she was looking at the ground when she said it, too. Jesus says to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with right now isn't your husband either. Yikes. I want to talk about your laundry flying out in the wind for all the neighborhood to see. By the way, just a point. If he could do that to this woman, don't think for an instant he can't do that with us. Then they get into a theological debate as to who is more correct, the Samaritans or Jews. That's always a good way to confuse the issue, right? Let's just have a debate. And Jesus dissects this one apart as well by saying this. He says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in what? Spirit and in truth. In other words, we've got to quit lying to others and we've got to quit lying to ourselves. We've got to embrace truth if we want to be in a relationship with God. God wants us to come to Him in an unveiled way. And that's why some of the most awkward, raw prayers are in the world are spoken by non-religious people, and God answers them. God, I'm at the end of a rope. If you're there, speak to me. God, I don't know squat about you. I I don't even know how to find you, but if you're there, talk to me. I'll listen. Oh, heavenly Father, we prayeth that thou would grant us thy presence in the midst of thy assembly. Which of those three prayers do you think God's going to answer? He's going to answer the first two, right? not going to answer the other one. The other one is veiling and prestige. The first two are just raw and bloody. They're as honest as a person can get. By the way, just a footnote, we will meet this woman in heaven. Pretty awesome. She also will say something else that is very important today, and and I want to hammer this one home. The phrase that is used today that could be applied to how this woman had lived her life before she met Jesus is often heard and often used. You hear it all the time on Hallmark Channel, right? If you're watching the Christmas movies. It's that time of year. Our family's already rolling. Come on, you can confess. Come on, cough it up. But you hear it all the time. When it, when it comes to the movies, what's the phrase? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. We just want you to be happy. Follow your heart. Okay? The ultimate expression of, of being, ultimate expression of this being that my heart is the ultimate decider of what is true, real, or best for me. In other words, I am the discerner of what is best for my life, and I'll just follow my heart, and it will lead me to my dreams, and I can do anything that I want. Nothing's impossible. I can overcome everything, and I will have a fantastic life. This woman's life is a good illustration of what happens to us when we follow our heart. Her track record is five broken marriages and now living immorally with a man who is not her husband. Jeremiah points this out in a very stark fashion when he says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, or desperately, another translation says, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The next verse says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to to the fruit of his deeds. Following your heart outside of the lordship of Jesus Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit will lead to all kinds of sin, tragedy, sorrow, and remorse. We need to follow Jesus, not our heart. Jesus will change our heart. And with a new heart, I can make right decisions. But you can't follow your heart Just ask this woman. Just ask Paul. And I just want to cry out to everyone this morning, everyone in Mill Creek, everyone in the state of Washington, everyone in our country, everyone in the world, stop following your own heart and start following Jesus. We are following our own lust. We are following our own desires. We are following madness. We are following madness. We have rejected God and we've reaped the whirlwind. Seattle's going to be a ghetto in four years, if it takes that long. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Your own heart will lead you into sin and death, it will betray you. I know this from personal experience. And that sadly is true even after knowing the Lord. Anybody else with me? Amen? You don't have to answer. Don't give yourself up that easy. But here's the point let's stop being stubborn. Let's stop trying to get there on our own merits. Let's stop resisting God's grace. Those of us who've been at it a long time know what I'm talking about, right? This is a great season to go deeper and cooperate more. But if you've never been there, that's how you begin. You've got to stop being stubborn. You've got to submit to his authority. There's nothing down here that is worth hanging on to that is greater than heaven and being found in him. And that's why Paul states this to the Philippians, to encourage them. Now, having said all that, let's reread those verses again, okay? Now let's go through those verses and read them. Listen to this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then he follows this up with one of the most powerful admonitions in all of Scripture. And that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Here's where it gets interesting. What's your quit point? Where do you, where do you tap out? Uh, Nate Heddinga, uh, Dr. Nate Heddinga, I, I need to call him that. Um, I still see him as Nene, but he'll kill me for that if he ever hears this on <laughs> On the message but certain things you can get away with being old right and uh but he is the head of our conference and he's been calling through the district he actually called me up about three weeks ago and he says okay what's your escape plan i said my what he says your escape plan well, i said what do you mean your my escape plan i thought do i got to get out of jail or what's you know what's going on here and he says no your escape plan he says everybody's got one they're all going to move to idaho they're all going to move to the moon they're all going to move somewhere right um that to get out because he said steve uh, the pastors are fleeing like chickens right now. He says, What's your escape plan? I said, Well, I don't got one. I said, My escape plan's heaven. And I said, uh, uh, I'm committed to staying here. And I said, uh, You're a lot safer Wh- wherever you are. If you're in the will of God, you're a lot safer than if you run somewhere else and you're not in the will of God. So I'm staying put. And Nate goes, Well, you're a rare exception. And, uh, but, but that, that's the point right now, is the pressure starting to squeeze. Have you felt it? Right? And the question is, how do you react under pressure? Not how do you react when things are good, but how do you react under pressure? That's the, the critical juncture here. So the question is, uh, what's your quit point? When does it become too much and you tap out? Paul is telling us his, his quit point is becoming like him in his death. And we know that he followed through in that by being faithful and dying as a martyr and being beheaded by Nero. Paul was faithful all the way to the end. Again, where's your quit point? Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And then he adds that I may share in his sufferings. Is that part of our definition? Is that part of your definition? That I will walk through sufferings because it's worth knowing Him even if I lose everything else. Do you have a component in your faith that includes suffering for Jesus and keeping going even when the going gets tough? Paul in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3 points out that indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. Do you have a persecution component in and for your faith? If they said, renounce Christ or we won't let you shop, would you quit? If they said, either renounce Christ or we'll take your stuff, would you quit? If they said, renounce Christ or we'll throw you in jail, would you quit? By the way, you know what jail is? This is a rabbit show, but you know what jail is? Jail is an incredibly extended quiet time. (laughs) If they said, renounce Christ or we will take your family's life, would you quit? If they said, renounce Christ or we will take your life, would you quit? Paul labels these types of trials, which we would consider the list I just went through quite severe, right? Like, thanks, Steve. Bummer of a Sunday. I'll go home for lunch now. Really blessed. Thanks a lot. But Paul labels these kind of trials in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as light and momentary afflictions. He goes on to say this. He says this in chapter 4. Here's how it reads. It says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. For this light, or other translation for these light and momentary, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If you want to know him well and you wish to see the power of his resurrection, you'll have to be willing to go through some sufferings. you Remember the four callings we started out with this fall? Remember what they were? First one was what? Be steadfast. The second one was what? Stay united. Did you see the Oregon governor said when these came down to spy on your neighbors and turn them in if they don't follow through? Do you think we're not close to Nazi Germany or what? That's just Nazi Germany, 1933, all over again. If you don't believe that, there's a book called In the Garden of the Beast. Uh, It it, 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 um, goes through uh, uh, an ambassador for America named Dodd who was sent over there. And the book is written about what happened from 1933 to 1939. Of course, 1939 and 1945 is World War II, right? But it it, it documented what was going on. If you read that book, the hair on your arms will stand up because that's us right now. Stay united. Third one is what? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Do... Hebrews says that we are to cast off all the sin and stuff that's trying to entangle us and to keep going because why there's a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Keep going in the faith, aim at Christ, be locked in that way. And then the fourth one is what? Love one another deeply. We love one another deeply, right? That's a reflection this way as well as this way. We love God deeply, we'll love each other deeply. If we love each other deeply, we'll love God deeply. We need to remember this as we're going into the fall. Uh, we're going to stop the Philippians series uh, this Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to kick into uh, The Hope for Christmas. By the way, that, that subtitle, The hope for, uh, the, thrill of, the Thrill of Hope, A Weary World Rejoices, I, I can't think of a more appropriate title for a Christmas series than what we came up with for this year. The Lord led us in that. He just went bang. We went, that's it. Wow. A COVID Christmas, right? I want to see a Hallmark one on that. All right, let's anchor these things, all right? Norfew, let's pray. Father, we come to you. uh, All I'm doing is voicing things we all know are true. You're reminding us of things that have been spoken of long, long ago, long before we were here. Lord, in the cycle of history is replaying itself again, and soon those who want to stand for you. uh, Lord, in this country, we've never really had to suffer Many other parts of the world, martyrdom is not unheard of or unknown. Lord, we seek you in this moment. We, we stand before you. One, we, we would pray that you would change the circumstances. Certainly, we would wish for the well-being. And certainly, Lord, we would pray for the thousands, actually millions of young adults, high school, junior high, and children who don't even know you. Lord, one of the kids in our neighborhood, we we put out a, a nativity scene of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph and he says, what's that? And Abby was explaining it to him. He'd never heard that story. Lord, that is multiplied over. We we grieve over that. We ask somehow you could bring this nation back from the brink. But if not, Lord, then we also ask, we know that you use amazing things and Lord, that Many times the witness of the saints and their standing in faith in spite of terrible opposition and persecution is a witness to the world. May we be so honored if that is your choice for us. We give this to you and pray this in your name. Amen.
0: Amen. Stand with us as you're able. That was fire, Steve. That's a lot to chew on. You may have felt the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, so we just open it up to you to spend some moments with him. And join us as we close.
3: Two things. One, it was McKinsey who talked to him, not Abby. Get the daughter straight. Come on, Dad. Loser. And uh, second, this song captures the target, right? Keep your eyes on him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's the end game, people. Always has been, always will be. Stay focused this week and walk in joy, all right? You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us this morning online. And uh, if you can go out the back doors again and help us that way, it'd be great.